the title of this evening's comments is, is Keep It Simple. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking during the sitting tonight about my daughter Molly's new passion. Her new passion is taking old CD cases and creating installations with them, transforming them into rooms for, for dolls, for transforming them into aquariums, uh, creating world upon world with these old CD cases. And she is doing this with, uh, it's now four days running with great passion and purpose. And part of her purpose is to save the, uh, the polar bears. Because she knows that the stuff that's just thrown away just goes into the dumps or whatever and it, it promotes the warming of our atmosphere which promotes the uh, dissolution of the, the polar ice caps, etc., etc. And that she's doing her small bit where life touches her to, um, to save the planet. That's her one of her motivations. So she's getting educated. So all that's beautiful in terms of, to, in my mind, to have that wider view of what we're doing. But what also, what also really touches me is the utter simplicity of what she's doing. How little it takes for her to feel happy. And it's such a reminder of my tendency, others' tendencies, all of our tendency to think that we need so much to be happy. We need to go so many places. We need to have so much stuff. We need to multiply our experiences. We need to work things out, think things through, that our practice has been, rather than to simplify and find happiness in the simple moments, our practice has been to complicate. As I often say when I talk about our delusion, I, I always like to remind myself and remind everyone that, it, that our delusion, and in this case our delusion about what actually makes us happy, uh, is very innocent. We don't set about, we all just long to be happy, but yet in the way that we live our lives we end up complicating it. So I thought that I would think about tonight uh, how, at least for me, how I can become more simple, how I can live more simply. I've noticed over the years that 
in spite of being, having a very engaged life, my life is pretty simple. I've become, over the years, and I think this is a result of practice, I've become mostly interested in the present moment. I'm not so interested in the next one or the one that happened already. I'm just more... In, and I think it's because I somehow or other got hooked into a meditation practice early on when I was 17. And well, actually I got hooked into my first meditation practice even though I didn't know it was a meditation practice. It was hitting golf balls. And I would hit so many golf balls that I would get stoned. And when I say stoned here, I mean my mind would become so concentrated in the present moment that I felt high, happy. And I didn't realize it at the time that even though there was a, quite an infrastructure of, of privilege in a way that it would allow me to hit hours of golf balls, <laughs> I can't deny that infrastructure. Nevertheless, the actual activity was utterly simple and uncomplicated. And it gave me, it left a residue of longing for simple moments. And over the years of then stumbling onto meditation practice, a formal meditation practice, which is all about reorienting ourselves to the simple reality, direct perception, direct experience of the present moment, slowly, slowly, I became so much more engaged in the present moment that my desire to be anywhere else just started to fade away. And I noticed that when I spent too much time thinking about what's next, obsessed with what's next, my body didn't like that. My mind didn't like it either. It got very anxious, very worried. And when I, when I spent so much time reviewing what happened before, that often felt, uh, sometimes, especially when I could ponder pleasant memories, it would... There was some, whole, there was some uh, pleasant feeling, but often I would feel a little bit drained by spending, dwelling a lot in the past. And it seemed like where the, the sense of vitality was, the sense of life was, was in the simplicity of the present moment. And by hanging out in the present moment, Interestingly enough, there's a lot less of me. A lot less of me and a lot more of everything. In fact, progressively I've become pretty disinterested in myself. Unless, of course, I get triggered by some kind of past conditioning, uh, or my body hurts, or something will draw my attention to, to me. But otherwise, I'm not very interested in me. I'm just interested in what's happening here. So slowly, slowly, even though I'm probably addicted to, to complexity more than I even know it, just living an urban, suburban life, I have a passion for simplicity. And I imagine that many of you long for simplicity. Is that... How many of you long for simplicity? But then I have to... The second question is, how many of you live your life 
on behalf of finding simplicity. So I, just in case that you, <laughs> I see a few smiles. How many of you are, that's what you're all about. We can, oh, do you want to say something? Please. Okay. Well, I, I actually made a list of, the question was define simplicity. The simplicity is the opposite of complicated. <laughs> so I, th I listed several areas of our life where you can look at to decide whether, whether your life is simple or complicated. Your meditation practice. It's one of those places that it's very easily easy to complicate. We have a practice for this and a practice for that. And a, an idea that I have to go here, I have to do this kind of retreat, I have to meet that kind of teacher. I have friends that I've practiced with over the years that are, um, they're always in pursuit of the next, of the next teacher of the next experience, of the next retreat. And I'm not, I think that partly just comes out of love for the Dharma and celebrating life, the life of the Dharma and sharing like-minded company and all that. But there's also, it, it can also have within it a kind of compulsion that actually feeds the sense of uh, the identity of the seeker. That we're not... We ultimately, the whole point of the practice is to be a finder, not a seeker. But yet we can get on this wheel of endless searching. And, that's and that complicates our practice. So a simple practice, what would a simple practice look like? If you think about what the Buddha suggested, he didn't suggest complicating your life. He said, let go of your, of your preoccupation with, with acquisition, with grasping and condemning and put your attention in your body and while you're at it, while you're doing your formal practice in the informal moments don't cause any harm wherever you can speak kindly, act kindly be sensitive to your connection and impact on, on the world around you Pay attention. Have mindful attention, clear comprehension of what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're thinking, and do no harm. So if your practice has gotten more complicated than that, there's something, there's something maybe amiss. So simplifying our practice... Simplifying our mind. Now, what does a complicated mind look like? We can look at... Complicated mind is, is a mind that's incessantly reviewing, commenting, judging, comparing, analyzing, interpreting, remembering, planning, liking, disliking, Reacting, that's a, 
flywheel, a waterfall of, of thinking. The complicated mind is, um, is trying to work, work things out through thinking about them, trying to solve problems through, through, um, through thinking. What's a simple mind? Anybody want to say, what's a simple mind? Please. Two kinds of simplicity. What does that mean on this side of complexity? There's a superficial simplicity, and then when you struggle with all the complexity, you come to a different kind of simplicity, which is more profound. But how, it is, how, do we, how does one, if in terms of our mind, how does one, isn't, is not the methodology exactly the same for the superficial and the profound? So a cow lives... Oh, so that, that kind of simplicity that's just... Uh, that's kind of unconscious. It's just... Just dull and not really... Right, I see what you're saying. Please. A complex mind... Tries to figure everything out. Simple mind... A simple mind realizes that there's nothing to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. Please, Margaret. A simple mind does all the things that I said, but there is awareness of it, and so it, and we don't take it as seriously. Exactly. If we really see what our mind is doing, then a mind, the mind is simple in that it's momentary. We just see a thought as a thought, a planning thought as a planning thought, a remembering thought as a remembering thought, an anxious feeling and thought as an anxious feeling and thought. So a complicated mind is one that proliferates without there being the mitigating uh, blessing of awareness, without there, without there being clear comprehension of what's happening. So thank you. So another area, complicated, we'll just, we'll say complicated life. What does a complicated life look like? To me, when I think of a complicated life, I think of, of a life that is overscheduled, where there is at least an attempt to multitask, to do more than one thing at a time, that is uh, filled with drama, where, and where there is, where in some ways, moment by moment, 
there's a feeling of, of putting out fires, of dealing with problems of one sort or another. Now, getting back to the same thing that Margaret said, if our life is, if we were, if we're clearly comprehending what it, what's happening moment to moment, even a very filled life becomes more simple. It's not... We know that even in the most complicated life, in unknowing, it just keeps, it, it builds up and our body freezes and we become tense and buzzing. But in a, the same life filled with everything, we realize if we are aware, if awareness shines through, if we are oriented to the, the fact that even the most complicated life is a life of just moments. And that the next moment has not happened yet. And the one before is already gone, that there's really only one moment at a time. Now, if we know that, it doesn't even matter. I, have, I would say that on the surface, people, a lot of my friends, just when they look at my schedule, they, they just are blown away. Said, you're, you're so busy. And I tell them, I do a lot, but I don't feel busy. I don't feel busy. Busy is a state of mind. It's a, it often has associated with it the feeling of rushing. And rushing doesn't have a lot to do with speed either. It has to do with a kind of momentum in our mind. A kind of the winds being up. Not, not embodied, not settled. So a complicated life is not just one that's full of so many things, but it's, it's a life where we're... Where our actions of our body and our speech and mind are actually increasing the sense of rushing and busyness and, and, um, uh, and complexity. And a simple life is one that um, is just a moment at a time. It is certainly easier to have a simple life if we're doing less a little harder to have a simple life and be so full, be so busy, be so have so much on our to-do list. So it's always good to create space in our lives. But are you interested in this life of simplicity? How many of you have the, the association with a simple life as boring? Thank you. <laughs> do you really believe that or do you just is that just one of your habits <laughs> you really believe a simple life is boring right we tend to feel you tend to feel a lot of anxiety when a lot's going on not a lot's going on and that's exactly what happens when we've become dependent on a, a very busy life, is the simple moments of the present moment become harder to, harder to be with. And yet, in the continual movement, we deprive ourselves of a, of a profound sense of simplicity, a profound sense of joy and peace that doesn't, that isn't associated with how busy we are, how much we're doing, how much we're accomplishing, how much we're crossing off our to-do list, uh, 
how it doesn't have to, it's completely unconditioned. It's primordial. It is, it is your birthright to, as, to experience a, a kind of joy, a joy in being that's, that we deprive ourselves of by keeping moving, by toppling forward. So I would, uh, I think that I would become very interested in that feeling of anxiety. That feeling of anxiety may, if you hang out with it a little bit, it may actually bring you to a kind of well-being that none of your busyness could ever bring you to. Unless you're actually open to the pain of busyness, and that would become the springboard to, to, um, to peace. Somebody else? Larry, what about your... Just a habit. Thank you. Yeah, not paying attention. Things can get boring. Actually, you're you're echoing the words of of Fritz Perls, the founder of Gestalt therapy, who said boredom comes from lack of attention. Please, in the back. Yes, there's a certain degree of pride associated with busyness and complexity. Unfortunately, pride has never made anyone happy. And that's, uh, that's, un- that's the sad part about it. Just a, another, another case of mistaken identity. Please. Complicated decisions. Say more about your question. Complicated choices. Yes. Yeah, there are complications. There are there are there are results to whatever choice you make. But I think the complicated part is trying to figure it out, as the fellow was saying before. <laughs> How do you figure something out without thinking about it? <laughs> Well, what we're used to, you can see that our methodology of trying to think through things has generally wound us up into that state of of frenzy and anxiety. So a couple things that I found useful is that, first of all, to to tease out whatever decision is being made or whatever choice, tease, separate that out from the idea of, of happiness. Because as soon as you associate any decision with whether it'll make you happy or not, you you've already left you've already left home. You've already left the true source of happiness. So if I separate those things out and I realize that fundamental truth that nothing can make me happier than I am, that's the starting point. And I have to if I remember that, that's what I call first things first. That's what the whole point of the Buddha's teaching was, to find a sense of well-being that doesn't depend on what happens. Unassailable, unconditioned happiness. That's what it's all about. That's not one that we usually think of. We usually think of happiness as based on if conditions turn out in a pleasant way, I'll be happy. If they unpleasant, I'll be unhappy. That kind of happiness is so unreliable that it continually puts us in a state of anxiety. So for me, separating those two out, a decision from whether, from, from happiness. So I'm, because, um, what, my decisions, 
My happiness doesn't depend on decisions. It depends on how I work with whatever decision I make, how I relate to it, how I live with it, how I live with myself moment by moment. So there's that, there's that part. The other part is that I've noticed, and if we, if we really pay attention to what happens in our decision-making, that's why we practice mindfulness, is to see is to see what actually happens when we do these things, to get to, to become self-aware enough to see what the results are when we do one thing versus another. I've noticed that when it's usually after I've exhausted my mind and I've given up, that a decision will, will just come forward. Uh, it will, the, I'll call it the right decision, will just emerge the one that resonates with the heart. But as long as I was noodling about it, I couldn't, couldn't sense that. So how do I short-circuit that? Pro- how do I save myself all that turmoil of having to, having to work something over so much that, it, it, that I get exhausted? So for me, that, it comes down to simplicity again. It comes down to silence. It comes down to trust comes down to, to trusting that if I'm present, if I'm really present, if I really listen with an open question, that within me is all that I need, is a kind of intelligence and intuition where things will just, it'll just come forward. But we're not very practiced at that. And we're, we're more practiced at either seeking advice from somebody else or noodling about it and not trusting our own inner resources. So the, the process of meditation, as far as I can see, and in my own experience, is that uh, when I paid attention to all my old methodologies, they, they just don't work. And what really works is letting the, the um, decisions emerge from in a mis- more mysterious, intuitive way. Please, Noemi, you had a... Yeah, knowing whatever decision you make, ultimately you have no control. That's right. Yeah, often the decision making is an attempt to try to control our life, and yeah, outright exposure, as Helen Keller put it, is is much more. Um, Jim, you had your hand up before, please. In yoga, we're taught that if a posture constricts our breathing, that we push too far into that, into that. Yeah, we've gone too far if our breath is constricted, yes. Yeah, when I push my life when I'm no, to the point where I'm no longer able to be present in this moment, it's that you've gone into complication. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's beautiful. You had your hand up, please.
not a simple ha- life, yes. You were forced into a simple life, yes. Pretty simple life now. Now I'm not talking about being I'm talking about being simple, not a simpleton. Yes, you're No. Yes, I want to be beautiful. Simplifying her life, she can do, but simplifying her mind, no way. I want to be this, I want to be that. <laughs> right, you can see the conditioning that wants to just keep, keep the... Uh, yes, we, many of us have the identi- we're so identified with our mind and our intelligence and our, our uh, knowledge that the idea of a simple mind feels like we would be completely abandoning our whole existence. But, but simple in the case that we're talking about just means present. It means that the recognition that life is fundamentally, if we really look at it as a, a as an a present unfolding, it could not be more simple. And we can begin to see the difference between the simplicity of, as the Buddha gave this great teaching to one of his students named Bahia, where he encouraged him to practice every day, and he says, just do this, Bahia, train in this way. In the seen, let there just be what's seen. In the heard, let there be what's heard. In the smell, just what's smelled. In the tasted, just what's tasted. In the felt, just what's felt. In the cognized, just what's cognized. That's all. No therein, no thereby, no this means this. The, the, the enormity of what gets added on, gets piled on to the simple fact that there are six experiences repeating themselves over and over. And it's not to, it's not to say we don't have a lot of problems to solve and a lot of things that we have to deal with. But we have to know that in the midst of whatever drama is going on, there are really just six things going on. And if I don't balance all my problems with that awareness of the six things, I'm going to take this, the drama more, more seriously than I am the, the, the fragrance of life that's actually here. I'm, I'm, I'll miss it. And we're all missing it. We're all missing it. And the missing it, in, in spite of it seeming that it's so simple here, it's actually so vast here. It's so incomprehensible here. It is so unexplainable here. It's so mysterious here that the simple is where the amazing is, where the extraordinary is. And it's the... It's the repetitious, the, I think last week I gave the 65,000 thoughts a day, 90% repeats of the day before. That's where life becomes, the complicated life, is. Re, that's what's really boring. That same 
run of negativity, the same run of I should be different, they should be different, I've been this, you've been that. It's just the same old tired past repeating itself. That's boring. Sitting with you is not boring right now. I'm, I'm on fire sitting with you. <laughs> and nothing's happening. That's the amazing thing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing's happening. So I just wanted to go through simple life, simple relationships. We can't talk about it tonight because it's almost <laughs> nothing. But we could do a whole night on relationships. What, and what complicates relationships and what simplifies them. Just a whole conversation about intimacy. How intimacy is ultimately associated with autonomy. And autonomy comes from being present. Complexity comes from getting caught in the other, in creating the other in our mind. And, and when we keep creating the other in our minds, we have no what we call boundaries. And when we have no boundaries, we're in a world of two. But when we have boundaries, which is being present, then we enter the one. Then we come back to intimacy. We come back to a sense of connection. It's all paradox in a way. The more you get fixated on somebody else, the more you, you're, you feel separate, cut off, pulled, out of sorts, complicated, don't know what to do, don't know where to go, don't know who to, who to blame, don't, don't know who to, who to fix. When you come back to yourself, I, as uh, Eckhart Tolle talks about it, he says it's, it's oh, I don't remember the metaphor he used, but what it goes in my mind is it's never the neighbor problem. The neighbor's not the problem. It's that whatever the neighbor does, you're not able to stay present. You're not able to deal with the unpleasant. And then what your mind does when it can't deal with the unpleasant, it projects on the neighbor. And then the more it projects on the neighbor, the more you feel like you need better boundaries with the neighbor. But the boundaries are just the lack of presence, lack of care for your own um, sensations, unpleasant. So that's a longer conversation, but complicated all comes down to being present, to simplify. As I, I started with Molly and her CD cases, just a reminder how little we need to be happy. And one of the biggest complications in our life is the excessive uh, accumulation of stuff. And unfortunately, all that stuff that's now filling up, uh, what do they call them, storage houses. Do you know that the, the biggest money maker in the country are storage places? Because places to house people's stuff. We've, we're mentally ill. And I guess I'll punctuate this by sharing the words of Sri Nisargadatta where he says, as long as we believe that we need things to be happy, 
We shall also believe in their absence we must be miserable. Mind shapes itself according to its beliefs. Pleasure is a distraction, he continues, for it merely increases the false conviction that one needs to have and do things to be happy, when in reality it's just the opposite. Real happiness is best expressed negatively as, there's nothing wrong with me. How many of you have that as your regular refrain? (laughs) There's nothing wrong with me. I have nothing to worry about. After all, the ultimate purpose of, of practice is to reach a point when this conviction, instead of being only verbal, is based on actual, ever-present experience. Which experience? The experience of being empty, open, uncluttered by memories and expectations. It's like the happiness of open spaces, of being young, of having all the time and energy for doing things, for discovery, for adventure. Your true home is in openness, in emptiness, in emptiness of all content. True happiness has no cause, and what has no cause is immovable. You could say this is the happiness of the Buddha, unconditioned, no cause. Said slightly more poetically in a way, I'll close with a well-repeated passage from a wonderful Tibetan Lama named Gendon Rinpoche, where he reminds us, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do or to undo. Whatever momentarily arises in your body-mind has no real importance at all and has little reality whatsoever. Why identify with, become attached to it, and passing judgment upon it and ourselves? Far better to simply let the entire game happen on its own, springing up and falling back like waves, without changing and manipulating everything. And notice how everything vanishes and reappears magically again and again, time without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a vivid rainbow which you pursue without ever catching, or a dog chasing its own tail. Although peace and happiness do not exist as an actual thing or place, it is always available and accompanies you every instant. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They're like today's ephemeral weather, like rainbows in the sky. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you open and relax this tight fist of grasping, infinite space is there, open, inviting, comfortable. Make use of the spaciousness, this freedom and natural ease. Don't search any further. Don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant who's already resting quietly at home in front of your own hearth. Nothing to do or to undo. Nothing to force, nothing to want, and nothing missing. Marvelous. Everything happens of itself.
So let's just sit quietly. In the midst of complexity, may all beings find simplicity. May our practice tonight, every day, be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. And let it express every day a deep wish that all beings can have happiness and peace that all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, that all beings recognize that sacred happiness and freedom that is here and now, a deep wish that all beings can grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet our life, complexities with simplicity, with less reactivity. May all beings be free. May all beings be simple. So just one last uh, encouragement that the best way that I know to keep it simple is to not overlook the simple moments. And I guess the best way to keep remembering not to overlook the simple moments is to actually take time to, to notice them. And if you can't just do it naturally in your life as you go through the day, do it formally. Sit down every day, lie down, do walk very mindfully, sit mindfully. Just do do something that helps you f- be aware of this amazing gift of, of peace and presence and happiness that, that's your true home, that can't be found anywhere else. So don't miss your life. You really needed to hear that from me. <laughs> Not really. Anyway, thanks for being here. Just a, another reminder, as usual, of the, the uh, way that the teachings and the, and the room is offered as, as Ardana. Uh, freely offered, but in order for us to meet here, in order for me to do this, we all depend on each other. So there's a basket for room rental Donna. We pay $150 a week. And basket for the teacher Donna, it's all mixed up. And if, you, if you're new to this group, you haven't been here before, and you care to offer Donna or generosity uh, in a way that it, it becomes tax-deductible, you can make a check out to the, the St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church, put Mission Dharma on the memo line, and it, it's tax-deductible. Tax anyway, thanks for your generosity, thanks for your practice. And uh, just a reminder that Mark Coleman, wonderful teacher, very close, dear Dharma brother, will be here the next two weeks. Uh, author of Awake in the Wild, go buy his book. 
but you don't even need to buy his book. He'll be right here the next couple of weeks. And really, I hope you enjoy him. He's a beautiful presence, and just a, uh, I think you'll have a ball with him. So thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.